0: This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio.
1: Obviously, we got 81 left, so uh, I don't think no one's stressing right now, but we want to kind of get on the right page. We don't want to be chasing it um, at the start of the season. Hopefully, get back on track, go on a little run, uh, fix a few things here and there. I mean, this is the time where we kind of got all of our energy, so might as well lay it out there and practice. Just to get better, clean up you know, D-zone a little bit and neutral zone. Other than that, we just went out there and worked after
0: a day off and just had to execute. Actually, I liked our practice today. You know, we had a day off, kind of gather our thoughts and look over the game and see if the problems we thought the other night were still <laughs> evident and they were on tape. A big part of it was our compete was there, but when you're not executing and you're turning pucks over, you're always chasing the game, and we were doing that. So hopefully today took care of a bit of that. We had a good mindset going in today, and I like the way the guys battled today.
1: Uh, oh, coaches speak. I love it. I love it. You know, partner, it's funny. It just it is one game and you hear guys talk about what happened the previous one and it's the only one you can go off of. Understanding mm-hmm. that this is a team that's accomplished a lot over the last couple of years, whether that means anything this year, we can have fun debating that conversation. But I think for a team like the Lightning, for the most part, who has a lot of guys coming back who have been together over the last few years, I'm curious really what they think after losing the opener and you know their mindset really trying to evaluate what went right and what went wrong how much of it was look we just got to knock off some rust and we've got to execute better and we understand that it's not going to take one game it may take 15 or 20 or how much of it is really dissecting what happened against the Rangers and really trying to to correct all of those mistakes because it it could possibly be a trend. I always find that interesting when it comes to so early in the season, you know, how much are you really breaking down and how much of it, especially with an experienced group, are you looking at it and saying, all right, this is just a matter of us getting in the flow of the season. And if it takes two weeks, three weeks to find our groove, we're not gonna be overly concerned. Not saying that's gonna happen, but I'm I'm curious.
0: Greg, I think if you were to ask John Cooper that question he would answer in the affirmative to the first part which is yeah we're just gonna let things ride for a couple weeks that is that that's not what he would pick he would pick the other answer which is I understand it's one game but we saw some things that were troubling and we're gonna take action now and the reason that I'm saying that is twofold number one he completely switched the lines up which we were speculating yesterday we signed off before the practice so we didn't know wednesday was the day off so yesterday was the first time the team was on the ice since the loss the lines were completely changed so that's one indication that he wasn't happy the other part was that while we talked about the lightning struggles on special teams against the rangers and and that's accurate they did struggle on special teams we were less critical of their five-on-five play. And I maintain, I thought the five-on-five action was fairly close between the Lightning and Rangers. They didn't spend one second on special teams yesterday in practice. Today they did. Today was a full skate. So I think once we get into the flow of the regular season, you'll have like a full practice, sometimes the day before a game, and then the day of a game you'll have an optional skate. That may be more related to, we're in the first week of the season and they want everyone on the ice and less to do with what happened on Tuesday. And maybe they knew they were going to have a full skate today. So they spent all day yesterday working on five on five and they left the special teams for today. Cause they did work on power play and penalty kill today. But I think that tells you something that their full day practice, not a morning skate. Like they were out on the ice for a good hour yesterday. They worked on five on five stuff and they switched up the lines so while i understand what you're saying hey we have a veteran group and uh, you know shake off the rust and and get some chemistry going and uh, if it takes a couple of weeks so be it that's not the reaction based on what we saw yesterday that's not the reaction the coaching staff had they're taking action now and we can get into the lines which were different but i think that's you bring up an interesting point greg And I think we could have seen the same lines. We could have come out of that game saying, or having John Cooper say, we felt our five on five game was okay. Really, we need to focus on special teams they could have left well enough alone with the lines and, and how they played five on five. No, that wasn't the case. They feel they need to be better five on five. Gabby asked, Gabby asked that question yesterday and, and and Coop said, before we work on special teams, we need to get our five on
1: five game in order. It was after one game and we saw some of these changes. I'm just a little surprised. You know, sometimes you want to give it a few games before mm-hmm. something is put on the shelves, so to speak. But again, it's an 82 game season, Dave. You've got to make it a little bit interesting for the players, and I think that's one of the reasons John Cooper likes to mix and match. He gives guys an opportunity to play with other players. It's not monotonous the whole way through. I I acknowledge that's part of it. I'm simply saying when I looked at the line combinations today, and Chris Cran is the guy I retweeted when it came to that. It could have been a number of people that were covering the team where you could have received that information. But the lines today... Hagel points Kucherov, again, going left to right. Paul stamkos Kalorn. Colton Nemestikov perry By the way, we took that question about Corey Perry the other day, seeing if he would Mm -hmm. be on a third line. There's your answer. Kepke, Belmar-Maroon. By the way, I think that is more of a a line I'd like to see a little bit more of. I want to see Perry uh, up a little bit more with guys who I think can— push play a bit more than Belmar and Maroon, but that's maybe for another topic maybe later on in the show. And you're adding Kepke maybe to help push play on that fourth line. Correct. Correct. And again, those guys aren't going to be playing 15 minutes a night. You're Hmm. giving Kepke 9 to 10, which on this team for his role probably makes the most sense. Although, again, if he produces, you may see him push for playing time. So those were the line combinations. So when I looked at, as we were preparing for the show and we had our our meeting as a staff uh, around... 6:30 uh six thirty in the morning to really bang home everything that we were gonna discuss. That must have obviously... been a nice dream that you had before you woke up. <laughs> now listen, I will say I was up at six thirty, but I was not prepping for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It
0: was like your REM must have been working overtime if you I were was... That was, was that was the staff meeting at six thirty in the morning. I was. preparing. I, no, you
1: are up, you are up at six thirty. I was preparing for the Tasmanian Devil, Alaria Francis Linelli, but not yes. not the uh, the Tampa. Did Bay she lightning. have any input for the show topics? <laughs> she always has input. She wants she wants the lightning to be physical, and I appreciate that about her. But you know, when I looked at the line combinations in preparation for the show today, I was, I guess, part of me is saying I really don't care because I know John Cooper does this, and eventually once. The games really become intense. Not to take away from the second regular season game of the season, um, I, I think he's gonna stick with a combination that has worked in the past. I was just a little surprised after game one that we saw. I mean, partner, is it fair to say every line was changed?
0: Every line I, was changed. I mean, I I, but, I, I would just I was, I was surprised. I was yeah. Here's the thing. Like I I agree with you in that. How the lines look is probably less important than the fact that he changed the lines. That's really the, the takeaway. And I mean, we can get into these new lines that you just, you just read out. But what it says is that after a game in which the Lightning were meh, right? But they were more meh on special teams than five on five. He dedicated a whole practice yesterday to five on five play. And when you're switching the lines, that's an indictment of your five-on-five five play because it, it has nothing to do with the power play. So my big takeaway is not that and stamp goes are now in separate lines. My big takeaway is even though we felt that the Lightning were fairly even with the Rangers five-on-five on, five on Tuesday, that standard was not good enough for John Cooper. And, I mean, we heard about this, you know, execution. It was executing on the power play and the penalty kill, but it was also how they executed five-on-five, particularly, I think, after the first period. But some of that was due to the flow of play getting disrupted, five-on-five flow of play, getting disrupted by all the penalties. Not an excuse. You're going to get games when you have a lot of special teams, and when you're back to five-on-five, you need to be ready to press on the gas, right? And the Lightning weren't able to do that, as well as the Rangers in the second and third periods. So maybe he he felt like the first period was okay and the second and third were a big drop off five on five. Or maybe he just didn't like any of it. But
1: he expects more from his team. That's basically yeah. what we're going with. I, I, think, this. I think I think I think he hit the nail on the head. That's that's the conclusion from the changes to the lines, for sure, is that he wants to see better production and better execution, too. Better execution, better yeah. production, whatever it is, however you want to frame well, it. Well, it's hard so they to produce to be if you're not executing. <laughs> they need to like, be better.
0: You can execute well and maybe be snake bitten, mm-hmm. but it's going to be hard to produce if you're not executing, yes. if you're missing outlet passes
1: or you're one and done all night long. Correct. Correct. So. That's where we are. As I said before, it's not something I'm going to lose sleep over. I'm not suggesting Lightning fans are. It's just an interesting observation that here we are in game two, and and John Cooper wants to tinker a bit more, and that's fine. And I would expect probably more tinkering if he doesn't like what he sees after tonight's game. Mm -hmm. Now, look, you have a game tomorrow against Pittsburgh, so we may see... A different lineup, Dave, because there's you know a couple of guys who haven't gotten into a game. Fortier obviously is is the yeah. one that we're going to talk about. Carrick, by the way, brought up, but that's I think more of insurance. For right, and as a seventh defenseman. As a right. seventh defenseman, we don't know about the goaltending situation this weekend. I mean, there is a chance because it's so early in the season that Vassy may get tomorrow as well. He will start tonight. Yes. No. No. Patrick Line, by the way, he's out three to four weeks with what a sprained elbow. After yeah, he, I so remember he, I, you mentioned, I mentioned? Yeah, you he mentioned got that. checked against you the did. boards, You yeah. did. You did. So good good uh good eyes there and that looks like something that that's you know, take advantage of that if you are the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I'm curious just people that listen to the show, what do you make of the lines tonight at Bolts Radio if you want to react to it or at Greg Lanelli, and uh, at Dave Mishkin? Nothing, as I told you before. Hedman, Foot, Sergachev, Chernak, Flurry, Myers, same D combination. Yeah, that didn't change, nor did the
0: power play units. The power play units stayed the same, too. What did you make of that? They mixed up the lines. Yeah. They kept the power play units the same. Well, again, it's executing, but I think they have confidence in that top unit that that top unit will execute better. Correct. I mean, they've been together for a long time, those five guys on the top unit. The second unit looks a little bit different, but we'll see how they do tonight. We'll see if they get six power plays tonight. I mean Columbus and Carolina did not have a penalty heavy game. They played on Wednesday. Each team had two power play
1: chances, that was it. I will be neither team scored. Do you I mean do you think it's an interesting debate to have where Steven Stamkos ends up playing this year? You know, whether it's well, I don't think
0: it's going to be a swing. set. I don't think it's going to be a set thing, though. It may be both. Maybe it won't. I think when Sorelli comes back for sure, and unless we have, you know, other long-term injuries that may kind of tip over the apple cart, and, and, and you know, you throw the best-laid plans out the window. I mean, the Lightning have a lot of centers, so I don't have to use Stamp Ghost at center. They could choose to use him at center, but I think that. What we know of John Cooper, he's going to see how the season is going, and depending not just on where Stamkos is producing the most, but how the rest of the lineup looks. Correct. That will determine where he plays the majority of the time. But he's going to play both, and in fact, in two games, he will have played both. (laughs) He was the left wing with Point and Kucherov Tuesday, and he's going to center Kalorn and Paul tonight. By the way, Kalorna right wing. I, I did not remember this because I asked Brandon Hagel yesterday after practice because Hagel's on left wing, and he's played both. And I asked him if he had a preference, and he he said that there are advantages to they each. They all do. They all right. Do. They have a preference. He gave. Well, I mean, what he said was he actually feels that it's easier. This is interesting. He feels that a rim around the boards in the defensive zone. He feels a little more comfortable on his offside, which remember I was saying that's yeah. the harder play because you're turning your back to the blue line. But he goes to the he said he goes to the weak side defenseman. So basically he's not trying to get it out. He's making a pass. So the puck comes around the boards, he's facing his own net, and he's going back across basically to the left defenseman. That's yes. what he meant. Gotcha. And look, that's a play. That's that's a play. And then that left defenseman has the ice in front of him theoretically to get the puck out. When he's on his strong side, the puck's coming around the boards. He's picking it up off the boards, and he has that pinching defenseman coming at him. Yes. What he said he liked about playing left wing is if it's a pass on his tape, he can accelerate out of the zone more quickly. So I thought that was a a good answer, an interesting answer. But then I said, remind me, when you were playing with Sorelli and Killorn in the playoffs last year, were you on left or right wing? He said, I was left. So Killorn played right. I didn't remember that as much in the playoffs last year. So as much as Phil says he prefers Kalorn at left wing, Kalorn has played right wing and he is going to be at right
1: wing tonight with Nick Paul on the left side. You know, it's interesting. It's funny you brought that up about playing on your off wing, because I think a number of players do it. One thing I've always heard, partner, about players that do play on their off wing, one of the reasons they give as to why it can work is... What, what stick, or I guess for the lack of a better term, what, what hand is your centerman playing with? So if if you are a, let's say a left-handed shot on the right wing, that would be your off wing, correct? Mm-hmm. For people following along, that it's like easy, Kucherov. Yes, that it's easier to play that position. I've heard this. I don't, you know, take it for what it is. If your centerman is also left-handed.
0: Yeah, which does not work in the lightning example because like point is a righty. But He's a righty. Ahead. But I yeah. guess
1: the thinking is you're able to receive passes a little easier because you're you're dealing with the centerman's forehand.
0: Right, but you're you know, taking it on your backhand most time.
1: You would or if you're you know, if you're coming down that right side and you can can you elevate the one-timer a little bit easier in that Well, instance? the advantage you know is mean? in the
0: offensive zone. And That's I think what we, I mean. We talked about I mean. this. Yes. Your stick blade is in the middle of the ice. It's correct. in a better scoring position. Well, like I asked Coop about this yesterday, like because the Lightning only have three righties at forward, and only yes. really one of them plays right wing, Corey Perry. Point snap goes are centers, and when when they aren't playing center, really they are playing left wing, usually. it's That goes. is correct. Yes. So, really, the Lightning have four lines, and most times they have three lefties playing right wing. So, they have a lot of lefties, and they have some lines that all three of the players are lefties. So, I asked Coop, you know, how do you decide which which lefty plays the, the offside, basically? And he said, as you know, you talk to the player, and, and, and some guys have more comfort... Playing their offside than others. In fact, some players like playing their offside, which Kucherov would be an example of that. He's played right wing his whole career. But I said the determining factor has more to do with the defensive zone than the offensive zone. He said absolutely. So all players are in a better scoring position when they're in the offensive zone than they're on their off wing, which is why power right. plays are set up that way. Usually, at each circle on the power play. You have a guy on his offside because the stick blade is more in the middle of the ice. It sets up the one-timer. But when you're not on the power play, when you're playing five-on-five, Brandon Hagel's comment aside, generally it is easier, maybe easier is the wrong word, but it's more conventional for a winger to be on his strong side and have a greater likelihood of success to get the puck out from You're the right. defensive zone. And that's the, what the coach is concerned about. The, co- yeah, well, the puck, the puck yeah. needs to get out of the defensive zone. I should so have, I have to put this. a lefty
1: on the right side. I better yes. make sure that that guy can get the puck out. It, that is that is a very well thought out point. I should have prefaced it by saying, speaking more offensively. Yes. So if you've got an offensive player who has to switch sides, it's a little bit, and it's specifically related to the centerman. For those reasons, not necessarily when that winger has the puck and he can cut to the middle of the ice and he's got a clean lane. That helps too. It's more of you're coming down that side and you're able maybe to receive that pass from your centerman easier. Right. If in the example I gave you, he's passing it from his forehand compared to maybe his backhand.
0: And I do and that's, think that applies to the righty lefty on defense, which is something that the lightning really value to the point that I think they build their roster in a way that they have I think a right. comparable number of righties and lefties because it is easier it's not impossible for a defenseman to play his offside and some defensemen like playing their offside but I think the lightning as a team like to have the righties on the right and the lefties on the left on defense because it's easier to accept a pass that way. Yes. And go D to D. I mean, it's basically what you're saying, right? You're passing yes. on your forehand instead of potentially on your backhand or pulling the pulling the puck almost behind your body to make a forehand pass across if you're on your offside.
1: So, Well, let's get to our, our good friend, Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com. He is going to be doing the pregame skate show right before the network pregame. Tonight and every game, and we hope it's a long run. And he's uh, doing playoffs, Stanley Cup finals like he's done before. We always appreciate it. Lightninginsider.com. Check it out. He also has a good article on Marty St. Louis that we want to get into as well. Speaking a of a guy who there. played his
0: offside, that's
1: correct. That's yeah. correct. But he joins us right now, and you'll check him tonight with uh, with Chief as well for the pregame skate show. E, what's going on, buddy? We were just having a little hockey talk with the line combinations and. I was telling Mish, it's not really anything to be concerned about. And I know how John Cooper likes to mix and match a little bit. I was just a little surprised that we saw as much mixing and matching
2: after one game. Uh, Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um... I, I, honestly I'm not because like if you look at training camp but I know this was an unusual training camp because of the Hurricane Ian situation and the team getting out of town but how many times do we see line combinations shuffle around just during training camp practices right like I think this is going to be a little bit of an ongoing situation with lines uh, in, the, in the early going to find what fits I mean you 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 lose a guy like Andre Pilat who's you know, Mr. Steady, Mr. Consistent his entire career. You knew what you were getting. You knew who he was playing with. And you've got some new personnel. And, and I know, look, Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul were here from March until the uh, right up to game six of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, but they're new personnel in a lot of ways, and this is a new season, and, and you want to see who they mesh with and, and who they fit with and who they can find some chemistry with and and everything else. So uh, I, I think that we're going to see the lines moved around here a little bit unless something just starts clicking right away, uh, at least in the early going of the season.
0: Eric, what we talked about in the first 15 minutes, the line combinations getting switched was, to me, less about the fact that we have different lines and more about the fact that Clearly, after Tuesday's game, John Cooper didn't like what he saw 5-on-5 five because five, they dedicated the whole practice yesterday to 5-on-5 five five action. There were no drills involving the power play or the penalty kill. Today, there were. But what did you make of the 5-on-5 five five play? Because uh, like I think coming out of that game, the storyline was the special teams really hurt the Lightning, but clearly Coop saw something that didn't
2: please him in terms of how the Lightning played 5-on-5. Five five. Which is a little funny, right? Because after the game, you know, Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, even John Cooper said they didn't mind their five-on-five games. So he must have saw something on tape uh, that didn't stick well with him in, in reviewing the game. I thought the first period they came out fine. There was a good pace to their game. They were chasing pucks. They were spending some time on the zone. But you really saw uh, through the second and the third period, it kind of fade. And uh, that's not something we're used to seeing from this team uh, historically, over the last couple of years, they usually get stronger as the game goes on. And uh, typical situation, and, and Dave, I, I love listening to you call games because it's. Can't get the puck out again. It's like you can tell exactly when they're in trouble uh, when they when they have issues getting out of their own zone and and I think that's where it all starts. Do you get out of your zone clean? Uh, that's where the, the the transition comes in and everything else. Uh, so I, I think that's the biggest area they want to be able to clean up five on five is how they get out of their own end and can you do it cleanly and without being under pressure to get your offense going? Because as Chief and I'm sure I'm sure I'll get this line out of Chief tonight on the show. Good defense leads to good offense.
1: It always does. Eric Rolinson from lightninginsider.com joins us here on the broadcast. We're getting you set for Lightning and Blue Jackets tonight. It is interesting. Brandon Hagel going to get an opportunity to be on the first line. Take that for how it is. I'm curious, when you take a look at Hagel from the games that you have seen him in a Lightning uniform, What do you make of him as an offensive player?
2: Good forechecker, somebody who is willing to get into the corners, uh, even for somebody who's not big, right? Like he's not a big guy, but he has that mentality to get in there. Uh, I don't think we've seen his offensive side yet on a consistent basis. I think that there's a lot more to his game that we have to see, Um, and it's tough. I, you know, I I talked to him in the preseason about the transition coming over last year. And he admitted it was difficult. He didn't know anybody in the room. The systems were different. There wasn't really a time that he felt like he was comfortable in playing at the level he knows that he can play at. And, and certainly the level that's expected. I mean, you know, this when when a team gives up a lot and the lighting gave up a lot, a couple of first round draft picks, Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk involved in that deal there's expectations on you. It's it's almost like being a first-round draft pick. It just comes with instant expectations. And we didn't see the full Brandon Hagel experience. And the opportunity tonight to get to play with Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov, assuming the morning lines uh, are the same for tonight, I don't have any reason to suspect otherwise, but it, it's an opportunity. Because what was one of the first things that we heard or, or kind of discussed when Hagel was acquired last year? Okay. If, if Andre Pilat doesn't return, here's somebody that is could be Andre Pilat. He could be his replacement in a top six role. Uh, so he's going to get that opportunity tonight. But we, we certainly need to see more out of his game, whether it's creativity, whether it's getting to the net, uh, everything else. And and the one thing I really look for for tonight, because it can be intimidating playing with a Kucherov on a point, right, if you're on that left side. Uh, he's obviously had some experience playing with Patrick Kane in Chicago, so he knows – what it means and and what's expected of him playing on a top line like that. Uh, But I'm I'm curious to see how he feels, if he defers too much to them or he gets more involved.
0: Eric, you had a uh, lengthy article on your website up today, a one-on-one conversation with Marty St. Louis that I guess is also running in the Hockey News. And tell us about that article. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that you learned from this conversation that you didn't already know with Marty.
2: Yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, first of all, it, it is part of the Hockey News Legends edition that's uh, currently out. Uh, obviously, way too long of an interview to get the whole thing in the magazine, so the, the entirety of the interview is up on the website. And Yeah, you know, I learned a couple of new things, and having covered him for as long as I did, it was, it was kind of cool for, for me to reconnect with him in this interview to learn some of the stuff I didn't know. Like his, um, his first game with the Lightning, he played a minute 51. Fourth line, didn't see any ice time. He actually has that game sheet. He kept that game sheet. It's in, in his office. Even now, he's the head coach of the Canadians. It's in his office as a motivator, as something to remind him, right? And we think of the, the chip that Marty played with his entire career uh, that, that turned him into a Hall of Fame player. And he has that game sheet from his first game with Tampa Bay uh, framed, right? Like it's something he looks at. We all look for motivation sometimes for self-motivation and, and he used that. Um, I learned a lot more about that famous meeting he had with Steve Ludzig about 20 games into the season where basically he said, hey, I think I can do more. I just want you to know that. I'm not telling you what to do, uh, but I, I, I think I can do more. I think I can help this team. And uh, <laughs> Marty got scratched that night. So the, the meeting probably didn't go as well as he had planned. Uh, but again, a motivator, an understanding of where his mentality shifted, right? Like hockey culture, you know, hockey players are always brought up team first, team first, team first, where he kind of had to switch his mentality a little bit to be more of a quote unquote selfish approach, which is, which is a little different for players to kind of think, but it kind of turned things around for him. So to me, those were two of the biggest things that I learned in this interview with him that I didn't really know before. Uh, but there's a wide range of topics from scoring that triple overtime goal in Washington in the first playoff series win in franchise history, um, the game six overtime, double overtime goal in Calgary, coming back for his jersey retirement, his induction into the Hall of Fame. And we, we touched on a lot of subjects. It was about a 40-minute interview, and I think the final word count between uh, my questions and his answers were about 4,000 words.
1: It's wonderful. I'm curious, do you know who his linemates were that... That first game where he played only a minute, what, 53?
2: You know, I don't.
1: That would have been um, tremendous.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure he knows. Uh, Let's, <laughs> can you call him up now? Let's see if we can get him <laughs> on and
1: ask him that. He hasn't anything going on right now, does he?
2: Uh, well, I, they're probably still reveling in the uh, comeback victory against Toronto the other night. Reveling. Matt Murray. <laughs> uh, Matt Murray.
1: <laughs> we were talking about that. We, we dedicated uh, a good portion of one of the shows to goaltending and how teams value that, I think, which I find fascinating. Maybe we'll touch on Toronto here in a second. I wanted to ask you a question about the the Ryan McDonough debate, not necessarily how much the Lightning are going to miss him, because I think they will. You're talking about E, I think even at, at his age and for how many games that he's played, I think you can reasonably say that Ryan McDonough is still an elite defensive defenseman. And the conversation we had a little bit yesterday, I'm just curious, do you think Ryan McDonough should be a Hall of Famer because of how good he's been defensively over the years. It seems like you need to put up numbers to get into that elite class regardless of position. And we make such a big deal about defense, 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 but rarely do we reward somebody who is just specifically focused on defense outside, of obviously, the goaltenders, which you can take a look at their numbers and goals against and, and compare that to everybody else. And uh, you understand where I'm going with that. But for a defensive defenseman, as Dave pointed out, you're basically looking at plus minus. And, I mean, we can talk about block, block shots all we want, but I'm just curious, uh, does the league need to change that perception, one? And two, does Ryan McDonough, based off of his career up to this point, being an elite defensive defenseman, is it reasonable to conclude that if he continues this trajectory over the next couple of years or whenever he's done playing that if he's still at that elite level is he somebody that should garner hall of fame votes
2: it's interesting debate um my first instinct is no but i think if you do step back and you look at things and maybe how we define defensemen i mean because look let's face it the norris trophy is not always based on guys who have good defensive instincts it's usually the guys who put up the offensive numbers it's the pkc bands it's the kale mccars and you know those type of players um whereas mcdonough never put up great offensive numbers right he's never going to challenge uh for that type of a situation Uh, but yeah I, i think if you look at the way you know ryan mcdonough how many times in his tenure here did he have the third assist on a play Right, like he's the guy who made the play in the zone that sparked the transition up the ice that led to a goal. He's not going to get credit on the score sheet for it, but I bet he had a ton of those tertiary assists. Right, um, so it, it's an interesting debate. Uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame and the way they do things—I believe it's a 10 or 11-member panel that um that has these discussions. So it's a very small pool of individuals who collaborate on these and, and come up with the hall of fame inductions. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. I, I, again, my instinct tells me probably not, but it's probably worth having that conversation just because of the type of play. And again, the guys never missed the playoffs. And there's NHL. Well, I
1: think, I think that's everybody's first inclination is no. But again, if you say, and we all do in any sport, pitching defenses, win championships, And there happens to be somebody who does it really well for a long period of time, and we don't reward that player ultimately at the end for an individual accolade. What's what's the point of you know giving somebody praise that he's really good defensively? And if you just to me that's the ultimate reward, particularly if there are no awards really out there outside of what the Selkie. You know, well, which that, is basically right, but that's what yeah. I mean. That's that's the only really defensive award for any player outside of goaltender. I mean, don't tell me the Norris is that—that's an offensive award. And anybody who who yeah. claims otherwise, you're just you're
2: kidding yourselves. Yep. Here, here's oh, yeah. the here's the part of the issue with trying to uh, define that. I I think in this sport in particular. You have to watch a guy play a lot. You have to watch him play every day. I mean, how many times have we said it when a player comes in here to Tampa Bay and you're like, man, I didn't know he was that good because you get to watch him every single day and then you see the habits that they create and night in and night out. Uh, so we get that perspective because we watch him every day. I don't know how much you know, a committee in Toronto of you know, 10, 11 players are watching these players on a consistent basis to understand how good they can be defensively
0: switching topics a little bit eric although still tied to defense versus offense uh, i learned in the broadcast meetings last month that it was the first time i think in about 40 years that scoring first of all was up but scoring went up in each quarter of last year's regular season so it started high and it ticked up a little higher in each subsequent quarter Do you feel that last year was an outlier year or the beginning of a trend where we're going to see more goals and goals continue to stay high, even if they don't go up through the year? At least they stay high through the year.
2: Sadly, I think it's an outlier because, um, you know, I heard John Cooper come up with this uh, thought process last year. It was an expansion year, so you've diluted the goaltending pool a little bit. And I think that's part of it. Uh, Look, I I think the game is as skilled as it's probably ever been. You look at some of the players, the young players coming into the league now, Trevor Zegers and that um, that generation of players who have more skill than they've ever had before. And, And I think that can lead to more goals. But let's face it. Coaches know how to coach defense. You can't teach offense, right? You can put positions and you know set up some plays, and but everything is so instinctual at, at such a fast pace that it's hard to teach offense. But coaches can teach defense. They can take goals out of the game, and we've seen it. We've seen it plenty of times, uh, certainly in my tenure in covering the league. Uh, so unfortunately, I don't think this is going to be a trend moving forward. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am, but I, I think at the end of the day, uh, with with the goaltenders maybe getting better and maybe trying to catch up to the shooters and even with the talent pool reduced a little bit because of the expansion, I, I think that we'll probably come back to the numbers we've seen more regularly over the past few seasons as opposed to what we saw last year.
1: Eric Arlinson joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. E. Last question for you. When you take a look at the Lightning's division a bit. We did get into Toronto and their goaltending situation. I thought it took a step back. Even though yeah. you may think they're a Stanley Cup contending team, I don't know if they have Stanley Cup contending goaltending at least right now, even though Matt Murray has the the credentials to say otherwise. I mean, how do you how do you look at their division even though we, obviously it's very early, but I mean, is there anything that stood out to you before the season began with The Lightning's division and where some of these other teams are.
2: First of all, yeah, how weird is that to say that the Leafs don't have Stanley Cup caliber goaltending with a goaltender who's won a couple of Stanley Cups? Like it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, in a way, you know. But it's absolutely true, and I I think we saw that on opening night. It'll be interesting to see how Toronto plays that out between Samsonov and and Murray this year. Samsonov, of course, getting the win last night against his former team in Washington. But uh, I, I mean, look, Toronto is elite up front. You know, Nylander, Tavares, and Marner and and Matthews and, you know, even Morgan Riley in the back end, but how deep are they, right? Like one of the greatest things about this run that the Lightning have been on has been their overall depth and, and, you know, not just to one position. They've been deep at forward. They've been deep at defense. Uh, I don't know how deep the Toronto Maple Leafs are uh, to be, you know, a team that you can count on to win the cup. I mean, they haven't been out of the first round since, you know, what, uh, uh, pre-strike era or, or lockout era. So, um, The division as a whole, though, I felt got stronger. Uh, Certainly the changes Ottawa made, uh, bringing in Debrinkit and adding Claude Giroux to to the young core and talent that they have. They have Jake Sanderson coming in on the back end, uh, terrific young defenseman coming in. Um, They hope they solve their goaltending issues by bringing in Cam Talbot. Of course, he's going to miss the first month-plus of the season with an injury that he suffered, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of start the Senators get off to. Uh, I think Buffalo – uh, again, goaltending issues when Craig Anderson's your number one at the age of 41. But, you know, they. I think they've moved past all the drama that's been surrounding that franchise over the last number of years when, when they moved on from Jack Eichel. You know, you look at uh, the, the contract that Tage Thompson just signed, and, you know, Jack Quinn is a guy that, you know, a lot of people don't really know how good he can be. Uh, Owen Power is now, you know, former number one overall pick on the back end joining – um, you know, that that team. Uh, so I think Buffalo is going to be a better team. I think Detroit added some talent. I don't know how good they're going to be overall. But I think the talent or the, the teams in the division as a whole have gotten stronger, I think, Tampa Bay and Florida in particular came down closer to the pack. I'm not saying they're not still above it, but, you know, I think they came down a little bit closer. I think the gap is not going to be as wide as it has been the last couple of years, which means it's going to be harder to take points out of your division than it has been the past couple of years. So, you know, I expect Toronto and Tampa Bay and Florida to certainly be one, two, three in some order by the time we get to April. Uh, but I think the division as a whole is much deeper and it's going to be more uh, competitive than it has been the past couple of years it's
1: all about being competitive e and you are very competitive my friend. We appreciate what you do thank you for joining us and we'll check you out tonight with chief
2: all right boys as always yeah. a good conversation and uh we'll uh, we'll talk soon
1: <laughs> thanks Eric all right buddy Eric Erlandson joining us right there I'll always enjoy talking a little hockey with him and Boy, I tell you what, Mish, there are a lot of uh, interesting topics you can come up with really before these games, <laughs> the season gets well underway. And I'm glad we're able to, to bring, I think, some interesting uh, conversations. We had a number of people that uh, chimed in that I want to get to right now about our topics yesterday. But uh, Jason, when it came to the line combinations today, said, too bad Stamkos can't switch with Hegel." And we may see that at some point, Jason. I, I well, understand. That was the lying. line the other night? Yeah, and he's maybe that's implying that he'd like to see Stamkos stay. You know, on that first line, whatever. I mean, look, I, we simply just brought up the line combinations today, and and how interesting it was to see where everybody slotted in. I mean, Dave, as we know, Stephen Stamkos could be back on that first line after the first period today. And he could. Yeah, That's
0: just. If yeah, John Cooper has a you want to call it a quick trigger finger short I mean? leash quick <laughs> yeah it's, it's quicker than than many other coaches yeah. but that it's not just like a quick trigger finger and then he
1: he puts his hand in his pocket right like he still has his finger on the trigger. Uh, TJ said from yesterday, Hetty looking too relaxed and poor decisions on moving the puck up the ice. Although he had best season last year, his turnovers and lack of physical play hurts. Huh. I don't know if I agree with
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many years has he been a Norris Trophy finalist?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when, when you're basically you've got the credentials of being an elite player in a Hall of Famer and you're still... Basically, competing and performing at that same level is that is that what we would call nitpicking?
0: Yeah, look, you want to say he termed it as nonchalant or however he put it. With, uh, Hedman was part of the group in terms of not executing as well as they needed to. Yeah, they didn't move the puck at the right time to the right place accurately, and it could be it wasn't all of those things all the time, but maybe. They made the right decision, but the pass was not tape-to-tape. Or the pass was tape-to-tape, but it was to the wrong guy. Or it was to the right guy, and it was well-executed, but it was done an instant too late, right? That's executing.
1: Let me say this. Let me say it's something to keep an eye on. And it it probably speaks—I think they go hand-in-hand. Jan Ruta's ability to play with Victor Hedman was underrated. I think Victor Hedman and his ability to allow Jan Ruta to play the minutes that he did, basically coming over from Chicago and not having a ton of NHL experience. What I'm saying is, Dave, I think those guys complemented each other very well. And now you're breaking in, again, if the defense pairing stay this way for an extended period of time, a player in Kyle Foote who was younger than Jan Ruta, is younger than Jan Ruta, doesn't have the experience at this level. You know, we talk about chemistry at the forward position. Sometimes it, it's instant. Sometimes it takes time. Hedman's playing with a younger defenseman who I think still is trying to figure life out in the NHL. Dave, that's going to have an impact. Maybe lesser, maybe less of an impact with an all-world defenseman like Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to minimize... The comfort level Hedman had with Ruta the last few years, understanding that they both played with different guys at various points in their careers as a member of the Lightning. I understand that, but a good portion of when Jan Ruta was here, you could sit there and say, "Well, he's going to be he's going to be paired with with Hetty." You know, it's going to change yeah. a little bit once playoffs start, but you know, regular season he's going to be playing with Hetty, and and that's how it was. And you know what? They performed pretty well. And now you break in a new guy, even though he's not new to the team. He's new in that role, playing with a Victor Hedman. And I'm not saying TJ's right, but I think we need to give that pairing, I think just like we do Sergeyev, Chernak, Florian Myers, mm-hmm. a little bit of a filling out process. I think that's fair.
0: Yeah. I mean, this I is why. how you feel about it. Well, we talked about this topic. It was one of the things that we talked about through training camp. Yeah with him and Sergeyev, not that they're new to the team, but they may be new to a different role. And it's not like, that's why we talked about it. I mean, look, if he, he just slotted right in, and, and we, we didn't notice any kind of a, an adjustment period. That would be fantastic, but I think that's one of the reasons why we spent time talking about it is there was an expectation that it may take some time. But, you know, John Cooper has options there, too. He doesn't have to keep the defense pairings the same. He can mix them up. Sure. He can take away ice time. He can give ice time. But for tonight, the D pairings are the
1: same that they were on Tuesday. Yes. That part is is true. Let me go to, let's see here, Basil. Our good friend who's back with us. By the way, kudos to everybody out there who... You laid it out there the other day, Dave, about just when you switch homes. I'm talking yeah. about the radio and the broadcast. It It's going to take a little time for everybody to get used to where we are right now. Tune an app, uh, 1025 HD2, and obviously the bone for games uh, on terrestrial radio. So we understand there's a little bit of a change. We appreciate all of you who have found us and continue to listen. We do. Basil, one of those guys says Greg and Dave great to have hockey back in my favorite podcast I'm in Cleveland and heading to Columbus for the game this was yesterday can't wait go bolt sorry for what my guardians did to the Rays well listen we can't we we don't have any control over that basil but no. we do appreciate I'm impressed that living in Cleveland he likes
0: the lightning as much as he does
1: I, I does he li- yeah he may live in there um also he's a regular about, contributor, though. He is. He is. He is. He also said McDonough's offense was underrated, likely because he's not called upon to score, but he creates the play that leads to Yanni's goal in Game 7 against the Islanders, and that play that leads to Colton's game-winning goal in Montreal in Game 5. His spin move against the Islanders would have been legendary if not for Pulock's save. Yeah, but
0: scoring one goal... Even if it was a sensational goal, I'm not sure that would have tipped the balance in this Hall of Fame discussion that we're having. But there's no question, McDonough has and and had in his time with the Lightning, offensive ability. He just was focused more on defending. He got the toughest
1: assignments defensively with Chernak. He did. Uh, I just, I I can't get over... We put a lot of emphasis in in defense in any sport, and you've got a guy who's elite at that position, and many times we, we penalize them when it comes to accolades or even in consideration for the Hall of Fame. I do. I find that a little disappointing. Because it it's contradictory to what wins championships, Dave. Yeah, you're and that right is about that And that it is, is
0: hard to quantify, though. Eric is right. Like to appreciate Ryan McDonough, especially Ryan McDonough. Eric's right about like you you view a player differently when you see the player play every game and you're focused on every shift. But especially for a guy like McDonough, based on what he did for the Lightning, you really have to watch him play and understand that. When Barkov came over the boards, so did McDonough. When well, Matthews see, is, came over the boards, yes. so did McDonough. Yes. When McKinnon came over the boards, so did McDonough. When the penalty kill was up, McDonough was first out.
1: It's a it's a good point by you. I'll counter that by saying the people who were in charge of picking and nominating players to be elected, let's just put it that way, for that, uh, that recognition being a Hall of Famer, You're supposed to know that. And you had ample time to see Ryan McDonough in the playoffs because he made it every year. What's your excuse? The Rangers, the Lightning, and I'm assuming the Preds. We'll see how this all plays out. But, Dave, it's it's not like Ryan McDonough got to the playoffs for five years and then went eight years without making the playoffs. He played in the biggest market in the NHL, performed very well. So anybody that's following the NHL at any level should understand what he does, then he comes to the Lightning, and they win back-to-back cups, and he plays arguably some of his best hockey in was the postseason. was in the season.
0: conversation for the Conn Smythe the second year. I mean, we yeah. never really saw the voting, but his name was floated out there. That's how good he was both years, but especially in 2021. Look,
1: if it sounds like I'm petitioning Ryan McDonough to be a Hall of Famer, <laughs> maybe i am <laughs> maybe i am but well, i i just i think in general if we're gonna have these awards yeah you gotta be better it's difficult recognizing though, because he comes up for for candidacy years
0: after these playoff runs happened years after he retired and the committee is looking at basically a paper application right yep. <laughs> i mean it's not on paper but you know what i'm saying like they're looking at tangible evidence of <clears throat> excuse me a player's excellence and the best kind of tangible evidence that you can have are stats not the be- maybe not the the most telling but the easiest form of tangible evidence would be the stats that's the easiest place to go
1: but it's lazy
2: well, it's but lazy
1: when it comes to defense. It's you know harder, what I mean? like
0: I, but it's harder to say. You know what? I remember Ryan McDonough in 2021 was playing so well that you know his name was was floated out there for the Con Smythe, and he was a really good defender for for 15 years. That's a harder argument to make. Yeah, you know, right? y- you're you're right. But I'm like, not saying it's right that they that they
1: would dismiss him. I'm just saying that it's easier. So look at numbers, but every sport that recognizes defensive players, baseball, you could go to gold gloves, correct? Ozzie Smith, maybe the greatest defensive shortstop to ever live was an okay hitter. Pretty good hitter. But I mean, we remember him.
0: But baseball is a way to tabulate mistakes too. They're called errors. They, they do. You know, they like do. Well, I guess you could really say have hockey's have plus that.
1: minus. You could say plus minus. Yeah, is but I mean, you could say plus minus is hockey.
0: An error is attributed to one player. A minus is not always attributed to one player. I, Sometimes they're in the listen, wrong place at the wrong time. So if you if you play, let's say, five hundred games in baseball and you have two errors and you play shortstop, that tells you something. It's harder. To look at McDonough and I just brought up yesterday, he has never been a minus player in any regular season. And his worst plus minus was plus seven, which a lot of players would be really happy to take. That is his low water mark,
1: which is incredible when you think about. He was probably going against the other team's best players, yes, for a, nu- for a number of years. So those, but it's not the same as a shortstop understood. playing five hundred games but, and having. But, I mean, maybe
0: no short. I don't know enough about baseball. I know maybe it. that's <laughs> never happened. But you know what I'm saying? Like having a low error number over a period of time in a position that fields a lot of balls Listen, is a tangible like way of looking at how good a player is defensively
1: in baseball in every sport defensively you are able to recognize somebody's defensive prowess with more statistics individually that back it up i just told you about the errors in baseball basketball you can do block shots you can do rebounding Mm -hmm. you can do whatever there's there's numbers out there with football, you can do sacks, you can do interceptions, you can do tackles. Understanding hockey limits you in terms of what you can build up on your resume when it comes to individual statistics. That being said, I think that's more where you one, have to take into consideration probably the plus minus more for guys like that. Two, come up with more statistical numbers that equate to the player's greatness defensively, which hockey is taking that turn. We, we talk mm-hmm. about analytics, Dave. This is probably where it helps the defensive players. It's just not as mainstream as a block shot or an errorless streak. So maybe I understand a it's hard to, to quantify it. Yeah, so maybe, and again, I'm not a fan of a lot of these
0: extra stats because I don't think that they really, they're, they're giving you like, Alaria's finger painting right that's
1: no which offense by, which, Elaria, by the way, which by the way end. i have right here
0: okay there you go <laughs> so you look at that and then compare that to like a digital camera taking a photograph of something yeah like there is a difference having said that yes i wonder if there's a way in hockey to quantify like quality minutes on the ice like, if you're a defenseman, because we just talked about, you know, he's seeing the toughest assignments on McDonough. Or pick your, pick your defenseman. Jacob Trubo with the Rangers. Like, we yes. t- talked about him and Keandre Miller are going to see the toughest assignments in terms of the best players on the other team. Maybe there is a way to quantify quality minutes or hard minutes defensively and how effective a player was at – limiting chances or limiting goals anyway but again hockey's tricky because a defenseman may earn credit for the goalie performing like larceny right like maybe it would be a goal if not for the goalie bailing out his teammates and the defenseman gets credit for that and the defenseman takes blame for actually defending well and the goalie gives up a softy that's why hockey can be tricky to kind of pinpoint on one guy except for scoring and even scoring sometimes like guy gets a goal and he really didn't have to do very much it was more the assist sometimes an assist didn't really have to do any much and the guy who scored the goal did all the work but we see that you know the Stamkoses and the Crosbys and the Ovechkins and the top scorers regularly score the most right (laughs) so it's not like some fluke and that's why they look at the body of work, and that's a tangible, like, stat that you can kind of sink your teeth into. Defending is harder. It's, uh, defending is hard, but it's harder to kind of pull out one player in the group of five plus the goalie that are trying to defend and say, this guy really impacted it in a significant way. You have to watch. You have you to do. watch and see what the player is doing on the ice. You do. And once the game is over, it's hard to look at a stat sheet and, and really pull that out of the stat sheet.
1: We've it's not kind perfect. of been saying the
0: same thing for, for 10 minutes now, but I think the fans understand where we're going with that. I think they do.
1: I think they do. But look, it, it was fun to debate, and it got us through some shows. Yeah. And that's why we did it.
0: <laughs> I do think the Lightning want to score more tonight. I think more than one would be would yeah. be nice, but I, I think that... Again, it goes back to how are they defending? And there's no line A tonight, and that will affect Columbus's power play, but it will probably affect it less tonight than it did in yeah. the opener. They didn't get a power play until after line A was hurt, and then they had to shuffle their unit. Now they have this Ken Johnson who's coming in for line A. He's going to be on the second power play unit, but they're ready. Like, if they get a power play, their units are going to be ready to go. And I think the Lightning need to be better on special teams, and they need to be better five on five. But at the end of the day, I I still think they want to be able to defend. And even without Line A, there are some skilled guys on Columbus. Columbus set a franchise record last year, as a lot of teams did, that are newer, not the Rangers necessarily, that have been around since the beginning. Sure, But the newer teams, many of them set a franchise record last year for goals scored as scoring was up. Columbus was one of them. Columbus can score. Cole Sillinger is a really good player. We know how good Johnny Gaudreau is. Zach is a terrific player. They have guys that can score. And I think it will be a priority for the Lightning tonight, and we're going to recap both games on Monday, tonight's game and, and the Saturday game against Pittsburgh. It's going to be a priority tonight for the Lightning to make sure they take care of business in their own zone. And as Chief says, defense leads to offense. But the defense part needs to come
1: first. It's a good point by you. And let's end on this. Anthony says, you guys spent 20 minutes on the Leafs goaltending, but forgot that Murray basically has the same salary as Campbell. Bad front office decision, as we all agreed. Hope to see Coots in the Art Ross conversation. My second wish after the cup for the season.
0: Well, so maybe it was that Campbell didn't want to stay, too.
1: That could have been it. A- Could have been it. We don't know. I think they wanted
0: to keep Campbell. I I mean, I understand what you're saying, Anthony. That was what we heard from the Leafs last year. So maybe Campbell said, you know what? I'm out of here. And he was a free agent. He had the right to do that.
1: He did have the right to do it.
0: And maybe he wanted... Maybe he felt that he needed more from the Leafs and when Edmonton came a calling, he's like, You know what? Yeah, I played with Matthews and Marner, but now I have a chance to play with McDavid and Drysidle. I mean that's a great point. And I'll take five million.
1: Yeah. It happens. I mean, it's
0: up to the player. It is.
1: Maybe he was willing to take five million from Edmonton and he wasn't willing to take that from Toronto. I mean, the money's basically the same, not going as far either in either market. <laughs> <laughs> if right. You're looking at it, taxes and everything like that. So that obviously didn't Come into play, but the point is much. that
0: the player has earned the right. Absolutely, at that point, to go where he wants to go, he does. And I'm going to maintain that you know, I think the Leafs wanted him back. They just couldn't make it work. And and look, circling back to yesterday's show, you were like, trade one of the other guys to free up money. They could have gone that route, and maybe they couldn't. Like. It's not just trading, let's say, Nylander as an example. It's not just trading Nylander, it's trading Nylander to a team that can absorb the salary because whatever is coming back can't eat up the money that you need to potentially sign a Jack Campbell. There aren't a lot of teams that are willing to take on a surplus of let's say five to $6 million in a trade. They're looking to send money back so they can fit a Nylander into their cap structure. That's why trades in this day and age are, are really tough to do. And, you know, you look at the Calgary, Florida trade, like that was a, that was a big trade, but a lot of money went back and forth. It wasn't like Calgary traded Kachuk and didn't take money back. Right? Sure. They took money back. Yeah. And then they extended the, both those guys. Or I guess Huberto had a had a deal, right? Or did they extend Huberto? They extended Mackenzie Weaker. I remember that, seeing that. Yeah. So
1: and they extended Kadri. Obviously, they signed Kadri. They so. did. Good points. Good talks. We'll do it again on Monday in this setting. But I will talk to you, partner, tonight. The game's at seven. Yep. Network pregame's at six thirty. E and Chief will be doing their thing at six. Check it out on the TuneIn app, of course, and that's where they'll be and then we're going to have the game on 1025 the bone the tunein app and strike 1025 hd2 i yep. believe i hit all three of them yeah so if you want if you're in your car
0: there, put on the bone put on or on put the on the hd phone. channel if you're not in your car you can listen on the tunein app You can also listen on the Bones digital channel. But I'm not going to complicate things anymore for the folks. (laughs) Where you found us today, you can listen to the game.
1: Love it. All right. We will be with everybody on Monday. But partner, I'll talk to you tonight. Thanks to Steve Ursnick. Thanks to all of you for listening. We always appreciate it. Thanks to Eric Erlinson as well. You have been listening to Power Lunch right here on Lightning Radio.